Artcentric Podcast with Rafi and Klee. Hola, you amazing artist. It's Rafi and Klee. And today we have a few questions that we're going to be answering from the amazing rogues. And also I want to talk about seasons, the seasons of an artist. Ooh, this is going to be so good because we're going to talk about the seasons and incorporating multiple things you do into your life and what percentage of income you might make. Yep. What percentages of income uh, that come in. Basically what that means, because Extempore uh, asks, what percentage like... Do you like... What percent do you like percentages? A hundred percent. Oh boy. Here I we like go. Them. This is off to, to a week start here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for any of you guys listening out there, we have the amazing rogues with us here. Um, to give us their input on the conversation that we're having. And usually all the brilliant stuff comes from them. So without further ado, let's persist. The first thing I want to talk about is seasons, the seasons of an artist, right? Because a lot of times I think people are under the impression that like when you're doing well in whatever creative field you're in, that it's just a constant, that it, you know, it's every month, it, like you could almost like rely on your income like clockwork. Like once you get there, you're just falling out of control ever right. more. Exactly. And of course, as artists, anybody that's out there that's doing this for a living, they know that we enter into different seasons. There are certain seasons where um, things are busy, you know, when uh, when the festival season starts and you get to do art festivals and art shows and depending on where you live, where the when the art walks are going to happen and opportunities that open up for you to be able to show your art mm -hmm. out into the world. Um, a lot of times that the most of that happens in the spring, in the fall and in summer, especially for some reason. Everybody loves to schedule their art festivals in the summer when it's like unbearable to be outside. <laughs> this is true. But but that counts as a season, right? So you're looking at that as, okay, these are the opportunities that I have now. For certain businesses, more so with jewelry than anything else, the holiday season is a big season. And of course, seasonal items right. along with that. Exactly. Exactly. So like when you're looking at your art and the way that you are looking at your year, a lot of times you want to take that into account, right? A lot of it is based on just the way that people have been trained in society to buy stuff, mm -hmm. right? So it's almost like in the holiday season is a huge, huge uh, moneymaker for a lot of people because that's just how people have been trained over the years to, you know, gift giving and stuff like that and going out a lot of people save money the the entire year in order to be able to go out and buy gifts this is true welcome tempest and welcome linda extempore said i have this idea once i figure it it stays up but then i have the fear uh how do i keep it rolling how do i prepare for slower times yeah so i think we'll talk a little bit about that yeah um yeah, and the, the thing is that when things get slow that's usually when i am at my busiest that, yeah, that's the R&D. It could be the R&D season for an artist's experimentation, and it can also be the production time yeah. for really getting in there and creating. Um, but also, based on these other couple of questions that we have, um, we're also going to be getting into 
diversifying the income streams and that topic of conversation. Right. Exactly. Uh, Chris says, if I rarely sell art, I don't want to spend that money because it's now gone quicker than I painted it. I totally understand that. The struggle is real. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's something to be said for keeping that flow going. Um, obviously, you don't want to just spend your money like it's uh, the apocalypse or something like that. But um, keeping the cash flow going also does include letting the flow go out. Yeah. Um, there's a balance there. I mean, and, sure. and for a lot of artists, the, the reality is that many of us, I'm not going to say that all of us, but many of us are hoarders of art materials. Mm-hmm. And usually it's during the slow times where maybe I'm not going to put in a big art order um, in materials or something. That's where I start going through the shelves and drawers, drawers of stuff that maybe has been sitting there for a while that I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this. It is a good time to challenge yourself to create with the materials that maybe you've put on the back shelf. Yeah. And that's where, you you know, because there's nothing else going on, really, that's where a lot of experimentation comes in. I think for a lot of people, when the season does slow down, where things slow down a little bit, um, they, it's very easy to get discouraged. And because there isn't maybe that typical um, income, coming in during that month or whatever it is that it's easy to just kind of get discouraged and try to figure out other ways mm-hmm. to move forward. Whereas, like I said before, that's when I get busiest in creating. Yeah, absolutely. Extempore said the video you did, what to do when art isn't selling covers a lot of this too. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Extempore also said, I've made a pact that I will use up all of my paint before I buy more, the brown paintings will happen. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And I love doing that because it's usually a challenge, you know, it's almost like giving yourself parameters um, that you don't usually use, right? Like, because a lot of times the paint that you have left over is paint maybe that you automatically don't gravitate to. Mm-hmm. So that's where the challenge comes in. It's like, okay, well, what am I going to do with this stuff? What am I going to do with these colors? What am I going to do with this material? And like just having a lot of fun with that in the process of creating and really pushing yourself outside of certain comfort zones. It's in these times that a lot of uh, my collectors will say, wow, I didn't expect that from you. Like I haven't seen work like this from you before. And that's because I'm constantly pushing my boundaries um, by using materials that maybe typically I don't gravitate to. So let's talk about the season. So here's kind of how we have this laid out. Um, and of course, seasons can be so different depending on your type of art and what you're doing. But essentially, like the first quarter of the year um, for us is a lot of like reflection on the previous year and planning for the times ahead. Yeah. Um, it could be a lot of admin work. Uh, and that's you know. usually January, February, and March. Yeah. It's cold. So staying indoors and doing admin work, uh, you know, it's not a bad time to do it, but also um, getting into the mojo of creating, like easing back into the creating after hopefully a brief pause and relaxation following the holiday yeah. hustle and bustle. You definitely want to give yourself that time off, especially after the holidays. During this time too is usually when I'm thinking about book projects, Yeah, right? Because things slow down. And if I get caught up with um, admin stuff and like all that stuff, I'm thinking about 
I'm, after planning the year, it might be a matter of like sitting down and like just working on on the book. Whether or not I release a book that year or not, that's all dependent on how much how much I do get done. So for different mediums, that might be a time for you to actually devote to like a side project. That's not your main um, thing that you do getting, getting those things, making sure those things aren't forever backburnered. And I know most creatives have those side projects. It's also a time that, so towards the end of first quarter, I go into like R and D, um, what new designs that I come up with when I was busy that I sketched in my sketchbook that I didn't have time to create. Um, and so maybe I'm going to start creating those, uh, getting ready for second quarter. Jin just said, I'm elbows deep in a PP cube overhaul, which is exactly what it sounds like. I'll be listening in. All right. Not so much Thanks, Ginger. <laughs> um, yeah. So the thing about it is that each quarter, and it, it's a really good way to look at your year. It's like where you break it down because the first three quarters, usually after the holidays, um, the new year has come in. And so like you're getting yourself set up and ready to go for the year. And then you have some projects that maybe when there isn't a huge demand for you to be out, that's that's when you're looking at those, pro- whether there are projects or like I said, book writing or music. Music writing, yeah. And, and really, um, really establishing kind of like how you envision the upcoming year also. And then the next quarter is I, I forgot my my month second quarter so uh april may june right yep um typically historically that has been a time that gets a little busy for me yeah um depending on where you live that you might see um spring shows cropping up so maybe you're in full on uh creating mode and you're getting ready to start putting yourself out there and doing the shows and doing the markets or um whatever that looks like for you um, One of the things that we used to do during the first quarter was take a look at what shows we did when we were reevaluating what shows we had done the year before and whether or not we were going to return to those shows and made a list of exactly when it was that people reached out or that we had to reach out in order to sign up for those shows. Mm-hmm. And like I've said before in videos and in podcasts, we didn't do the big expensive shows. Uh, it was like, when do the art walks start in Fort Walton beach? When do the art walk start in this other place? When does gallery night start again? When does this start up again? Mm -hmm. And making sure that the emails and everything that needed to be sent to get us prepped for that time were all sent. So it, it's a lot of admin stuff. I think that to demystify the life of an artist, like we spend a lot of time in the studio, but also it's a lot of time prepping and getting things ready and making sure that our canopy is good. Or if we're doing an inside show that we have like the wall set up and all that stuff. We just had a conversation about this recently. It is, it's obviously a lot of studio time, but it's a lot of admin time. It's a lot of email correspondence. It's a lot of um, looking at the planner, making sure we're not missing anything and so on and so forth. Let me see. Sarah said something here. Um, Having doubts drop 10 small pieces off Xmas. Uh, Christmas show today starts November 1st. Lady told me that my prices were too high, that they wouldn't sell. Wonderful pieces. So I took her advice. I feel devalued thinking about calling to ask her to change some of them, even if they don't sell there. Sarah, um, we've, we've definitely talked about pricing before. And again, pricing really comes down to you. 
it's a process when you're dealing with other people and you will always have someone either telling you that your pieces are too expensive or that you're not charging enough. Mm -hmm. And really at the end of the day, you have to be happy with the way that your prices go. That's all part of it. So like in order to be able to take advantage of having fun at a Christmas show, if, because you're saying that usually the other prices listed are lower. Um, that's the thing. These are, this is your work. It doesn't matter what the lady said. You contact her and tell her to change the prices back to whatever price it is that you're happy with, where you don't feel devalued because either you are undervaluing your work in hopes, in a desperate attempt to try and sell it, or you are valuing your pieces somewhere where you are happy with them. So if they don't sell, they don't sell. Mm-hmm. You know, for a show like that, for Christmas shows, I'll be honest with you, the majority of the work that I would send to things like that were small ornaments, things like that, that I created that I can, that I could create really quickly that I would price lower, um, you know, because they're ornaments and things like that. But other than that, the, what I count more when it comes to the winter season is commissions and people buying something for someone that they saw at a show, right? Because they saw it because they talked to me and then they were excited. You know, maybe that person was excited and their significant other asked me to set that, that work aside or something like that. Yeah, certainly. It's a good idea to have um, like impulse items. I don't even like to use that word for Christmas shows, but don't mark down your original work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause she says most of the other people's pieces usually only sell for lower prices there. So I either comply or they won't sell. I mean, the idea of being bullied into lowering your prices in that way is absolute BS to me. Yeah. Um, and it's a bold statement to make for a shop owner to tell any, anyone that for sure they won't sell, yeah. you know, even if historically because- they haven't experienced that. They don't know that for sure. Yeah, because you don't know. And to be honest with you, if you have a shop owner that is telling you, well, your pieces won't sell, then that shop owner is going to be a hindrance for you to begin with, right? Because they don't know. They don't know if somebody's going to come in and want to buy that piece. They don't know what the person is willing to spend on it because art is a connect. A lot of people look at art and they see almost like gift shop type items. And really, when it comes down to it, if you're doing business with somebody like that, then you might as well just give them gift shop type items. All right. That's the end of my rant. Let's get back to the other side of this. On that note, (laughs) back into the seasons of an artist. I mean, that's something that you might think about. Um, So going into the summer months, uh, uh, what is it? June, July, August or July, August, September. Yeah, that's third quarter. Right. Um, that actually tended to be a little slow for me, even though it was busy show season, it was like, you know, it's hot out, especially with jewelry. Uh, there's this phenomenon in person, not online so much where it's too hot for people to even want to think about like (laughs) trying on jewelry. Yeah. Um, so it was a time for me to, I had my work, you know, I had whatever work I was bringing out to shows, but I was already thinking about the holiday season. And, um, I, I, uh, don't produce anything particularly for the holiday season that's different than what I normally do. Like I don't have a line of holiday jewelry that I do or anything like that. A lot of artists do, 
have a holiday line. So yeah. if you do have something like that, they'll, that's the that's the time where you want to start thinking have, about. They'll have their holiday collection. They'll have Christmas ornaments specifically for Christmas. They'll have you know different other holiday type stuff. Uh, Smurag said Christmas. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Christmas. It's basically anything that's going because like as artists also like Thanksgiving starts coming up and like, you know, you're able to sell things for Thanksgiving, the new year, all kinds of things like that. Like basically everything is packed into the holiday season. Christmas festivals are a time I like to show my best. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't. And if it doesn't sell, I still get seen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, during the during the Christmas shows and different holiday stuff, it's an opportunity for you to show your stuff off. I have had historically that during the holidays, a lot of times, you know, art is a very personal thing. So people will come in and they're looking for gifts for someone else. The thing that I know for sure, for sure, is that after the holidays, Anybody that fell in love with a work for themselves will come back and buy that work for me. And that's why I would go to these events and shows, Mm -hmm. even though financially, maybe I wasn't going to do as well. And if Cleo and I were having a competition, she'd be beating me every single time in sales. Yeah. Um, But like, it's all about just putting your stuff out there and looking at the different seasons and seeing the different opportunities. Like you said, during the summertime, it's hot and sticky in a lot of places, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, unless people are there specifically to buy art at a show, right? Cause you'll have those yearly shows. And a lot of times the, the yearly shows that would happen that were like, um, I forget which one it was, the one that was out in watercolor, that was a good show. And that didn't cost a lot of money to show our work there. Right. Um, but like the people in the area went there would actually rent hotel rooms specifically because they wanted to look at the art. Most definitely. But otherwise summer, summer was never a strong one for me. And so I would utilize the time not only to, um, prepare for the upcoming holiday season, but also, and really that for me, that just means like making sure I have materials essentially and like deciding what I want to put together. Um, but also that's when I might double down on commissions, you know, like if I'm behind on commissions, that's when I really ramp up getting those taken care of. Um, the holiday season for me is when I ramp up on commissions and also that, that time, that quarter, um, when it, when it's summertime, I tend to, that's when a lot of people will contact me for commissions. The other season that not a lot of people talk about is tax return season. Yeah. The spring. I mean, that's a busy time. During the spring, a lot of times people are getting, they get their tax returns and you know, that's, that's usually what I gear up for mm-hmm. is during that time. And, and a lot of times it doesn't happen at the shows. It happens because I've done years and years of shows. So like a lot of my collectors know how to contact me and, and yeah. And this is the other piece of it too, is that um, on the flip side to that, the seasons, this has been our experience, the seasons that are not busy for in-person stuff, basically the height of summer and the dead of winter can be really great online. 
yep. have an online presence because usually when the show seasons are not active, the online seasons are. Still do the shows, but do the shows that are um, financially viable. That means that they are less than a hundred bucks knowing that you will be paying a hundred bucks, but you will be at least talking to 50 to a hundred people about your art and introducing your art to new people that haven't seen it before. Um, a lot of times people get really discouraged because they go out to do a show and they think that they're there to make money and don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with making money, but money should be the bonus. The biggest benefit of doing any shows is being able to put your stuff out in front of people and letting those people have your contact information, directing those people to your website and continuing that relationship because that relationship is what is going to eventually sell your work, whether it happens online or in person. Most definitely. So one of the other things that we do when we're going into the seasons. Um, and this goes into Ev's question here because, you know, we, it's doing a lot of brainstorming and thinking about different ways of putting our artwork out there or even jumping into a completely different medium. Mm -hmm. And one of the mediums that we work in right now is music. It's something that we've been very much focused on in the last year. And so Ev asks, I would love to hear you guys discuss how you might imagine creatively combining your artwork with your music. Uh, he says, of course, I have incredibly selfish reasons for hearing uh, you discuss this. But that aside, I would love to hear how you might go through thinking about it. Okay, so this is awesome. And I want to, first, I want to talk about how we have um, up to now combined music with our artwork. I'd love to brainstorm ways that we might go forward with that. And also um, not even limiting to music, but when you're a creative and you're working in multiple mediums, there's always room for crossover. And so thinking about how the multiple things that you do might cross over and benefit the other things you do is a really good idea. Yes. I mean, it's just a really good idea. Yep. Um, so some of the ways in which we have incorporated our artwork with our music, um, really began with the media side, I guess, of yeah. what we do. So, um, a lot of you know that, um, I do the jingles and some of the background music for our channel. So there's crossover there for the channel. Um, the channel, the channel is kind of the hub, right? So the channel might feature some of the artwork in the background of videos. The, the music might be our, um, our music that we wrote, um, any social media posts that, um, our video that feature our artwork or jewelry lately, since we've distributed music have featured our music in the background, um, such as reels and what have you, um, and that's, that's the way that it ties into like the media aspect of what we do, which is like the videos and stuff mm -hmm. and everything kind of ties in together. And that's the thing to understand that all of it, all of it really does tie in together in one way, shape or form. Uh, when we did our gallery show, uh, we had two live concerts, um, one each month so that the people that came that were interested in the artwork also had a chance to not only hear our music, but, um, flip through Rafi's books, yep. uh, learn about our YouTube channel and so on and so forth. When the I, idea 
Oh, go ahead. I was going to say one of the other ways that we've used music, especially with art, is when we did the installation mm-hmm. um, of the Dreamforce with my animatronic sculptures. The music that played in the background while they weren't speaking um, was something that we had put together um, that that would it was it was cool. Each uh, animatronic sculpture created its own. Um, music that kind of tied in with all the other ones. Yeah. There were five of them and they never played the same song the together. The result was, yeah, they, the, the five when they were going would never play the same song twice because the notes were never activated at the same time. If that makes sense. Jared, said, I wrote a children's book using poetry and art. Yeah. That's see, awesome. I love that. And that's where, that's where it's coming up with different ways to, really, really um, express yourself as a, as a multimedium artist, mm-hmm. right? And that could include music. It could include videos. It could include painting, sculpture, uh, poetry, illustrations. You know, and anything that you do is something that you could put out there and is a viable option for you to I, the thing is, I hate saying this because a lot of people love to be like, you want to, you want to make money on the things that you, you know, but it's not really about making money. It's about giving yourself the opportunity to not turn that into a business, but to make it something that may eventually produce money for you. Absolutely. Um, And and on the vein of poetry and art, um, we're actually getting ready to film a class pretty soon that's going to be teaching creatives how to speak about their art through poetry. Yeah, I think Um, that's going to be amazing. Essentially, it's writing artist statements in poetic form about a visual piece and then not only presenting the visual piece, but reading the poem that you wrote about it at the opening. And that could be done with music as well, right? So a visual piece could inspire a song and you might pair them together um, and perform a song based on a piece or create a piece based on a song. So vice versa. Yeah. I would, I would love to uh, really push that even further. Cause a lot of times, like, you know, when we think of an album, uh, any music album, something that you love, and you're thinking of the cover of the CD or whatever, um, you have the visuals of the artwork that was on the CD, whether it's a photograph or just the artwork. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where I think that like when you're writing music, um, that can be told, that story could be told through your instrument, through your vocals, through a painting, through a sculpture, through dance, through dance. There, there are so many ways to just kind of combine these things that you love. Um, and I think that it's a matter of like not separating that side of it with the other. It's under- all part of who you are. So another thing that I would love to experiment with in the future is to actually uh, on the flip side is to incorporate some of our visual art into our music videos yep. in it maybe an animated way. Um, I'm not sure yet, but that's something that we want to experiment with. Ali said, I thought it was genius how you played music at your recent show. I'm realizing that all types of art add to an overall creative experience. It's a cool, unique experience. Yeah, and yeah. that was what we were trying to build with the show. We were trying to bring a little bit of everything. So we even brought some of our stuff 
from home that lives in the studio that wasn't for sale, but that just made the space feel more like our art studio to really allow people to get to know all the different sides of us, if that makes sense. Um, music being a big one. Yeah. So, um, and yeah. that's, and that's the thing. It's like any, any opportunity that you have to put your art out there in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, like I think about like, if we were approaching it just on the music stance, like I've done live paintings on stage mm -hmm. while a band was playing. Um, it would be one of those things where if you and I were to put some kind of concert together, there would most definitely be a spinning easel on the stage where I would be working on art in between sets. Absolutely. You know? And I would even love to incorporate projector uh, work with that, you know, where like the piece of art that's being created would be up on a big projector screen. So you would have the real live thing going. Yeah. A close up of what's happening on the projector, a musical performance. I've also seen plenty of pieces of art that moved me to such a degree that I want to write about them. So I think if anything inspires expression through you, there's mad crossover there. Yeah. And it all builds on an atmosphere and a unique experience, like Ali said. So those are our, some of our ideas, some of the things that we either have tried or are looking to try. I like the idea of these, I don't know if gypsy show is the right word to use. And maybe I'm thinking along those lines because of, um, because of conversations we've had, but there, I feel like in these shows, maybe these traveling shows, right? There's kind of a little bit of everything, well, it's, and I love that. It's magic. It's, it's magical. Magic. Yeah. Like when you think about it, you've got, um, uh, like Chris is saying, I'm trying to teach myself how to club juggle for that reason, more likely than guitar. Uh, yeah, you know, like that kind of thing. It's like you've got performance. There's performance art. You've got um, paintings, sketches. You've got music. You've got a, a combination of all of that. It's this creative lifestyle that you're introducing people to. Um, Ev says a circus. Yeah. I mean, you you think of how much this kind of thing has an impact on all of us. And it brings back that sense of magic. Absolutely. And that's honestly, you guys, that's one of my favorite things about the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta is one of the first things that we were told when we walked through the door was no matter what your medium is, no matter what you're working in, welcome home because this is a place for it. And you see so many visual and auditory and interpretive dance, all of it come into play to create these productions and these pieces it's of art that are just all encompassing. I mean, when you break it down, it's music, it's set design, it's background sets, it's sculpture, it's writing. it is writing, yeah. it is poetry, it is a little bit of everything. It's mechanics. Like, it's, yeah. Like that was going to the Center for the Puppetry Arts was, uh, for me, a life changing experience. And just seeing this group of all inclusive creatives getting together to create something amazing, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of us will discount it and be like, Oh, well not a lot of us, I shouldn't say not a lot of the rogues, but people will easily discount and say, Oh, well it's, that's just puppets, you know, and that's, that's a ridiculous thing to 
think of because that's like saying, well, that's just art. And there are people out there that say, well, that's just a painting or that's just a piece of music. Or it's just, yeah. Yeah. Or or that's just some poem or that's just some, you know, it's easy to say that's just some, but really every single one of us has had a life changing experience when it comes to art and nature. And simple as that. This is the coolest thing, right? If you work in multiple mediums, like so many creatives do, not only do you have the opportunity to create individual pieces that the world has never seen before, but you have the opportunity to create an all encompassing experience through your many things that only you in the whole of the universe could put together. Yep. And that, that to me is the total enchilada. (laughs) Ev says, I adore you guys. This is such awesome input. Well, thank you, Ev, for the question. Liz said, I'm working on making some apparel with my artwork. Oh, I love it, Liz. Clothing too. Yes. Yes. Why not wear your art? (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of wearing your art. I've said a relative once asked me what kind of artist I was this week. I said, yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Allie said, it's funny. I'm working on a wood burn piece of a cow and the cow contours go, go with the grain. I'm calling it a Fibonacci cow because the pattern is repeating. I'm going to tell everyone about nature patterns at the show I'm displaying at. It's science and art. Oh, I love it, Allie. I, I love it. love that. I love the mixture of science with art. Yes. Just love that so much. Yeah, we totally nerd out when it comes to the scientific facts, when it comes to the mediums that I'm using, or when it comes to the stones that Klee's using. And that's the thing. There's so much room for crossover with writing and art, with music and art, with performance and art, with writing and music, and so on and so forth. There's endless combinations. We'll never run out. Yeah. Yeah, I made pillows from a fabric that had one of my paintings, said Charity. That oh, is awesome. It. Yeah, I made pillows once uh, with our faces on it. We did. We made pillows with our faces on them. They were goofy. And I think that we should make I think more we need to, pillows. We're going to make more pillows with our faces on them. Um, so uh, I would say that that brings us into the next question that is from Dapper Kiwi. Oh, before we get into oh, that, okay. real, as a real quick aside on the music end of it, and this is just in beta testing, but there's been so much change on social media platforms recently, especially with the advent of TikTok, of sharing music and especially sharing music from indie artists that a lot of platforms, including YouTube, are getting ready and testing new ways for indie musicians to be able to share their music and for creators to be able to easily license that music for more crossover potential. So that's really exciting. And when that really starts launching, I'm definitely going to be spreading the word to the Rogue fam and beyond about those opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many uh, great musicians out there that I know that do not share their art. Their art just sits on old CDs. Their art sits in in storage on a computer, but they don't put their art out there. And it's never been easier to put your music out there. And it's just getting better and easier. Yeah. I've said there's a great interview with Brian May of Queen on YouTube. He is such a nerd. Yes. yes. It's a must-see for rogues. Oh, that's excellent. 
Ginger said, we're going to make more pillows with our faces on them. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I've said, keep us up on that. Yeah, we will. We will definitely be spreading the word on that. So with that, I think that the segue is beautifully into our final question for the podcast, which comes from our very own Leslie Dapper Kiwi. Um, And Leslie wants to know, um, I've noted that my income varies across my artistic worlds from DJing dappering, life coaching, and art making. At times, my art making is only 20% of my income. Can you outline where the percentages of your income come from? As I know other art YouTubers where 80% of their income now comes from Patreon. Whoa. Thanks heaps, Leslie. That's a huge percentage. So we thought that this was a cool opportunity to again revisit diversifying your income and using your many, many skill sets to kind of buffer those times where maybe your main jam is slowing down. And we just went ahead and pulled our numbers from last month. So this is just for last yeah, month of this and that's, year. That's the thing to understand is that numbers numbers are going to fluctuate. Absolutely. Um, the The most important thing is understanding how it is that you're putting your stuff out there and whether or not, and I know all of you have heard the term passive income, right? So, uh, well, let's go, let's go over the list. So at the top of our list is art and jewelry. Our art and jewelry creations uh, provide about 46.9% of our income. So that is the vast majority of our moolah comes from what we do. Now, mm-hmm. art and jewelry is not passive. Uh, we have to create work. We have to put it out there. Indeed. So that would be what I would consider that that's like our full-time job. Mm-hmm. Patreon, which is our awesome rogues is about 11% of our income. Um, Man, if we were making 80% of our income on that, we'd be we'd be I rolling know, in right? it. But it's 11% of our income and most of that money goes right back into stuff we want to do. The media stuff yeah. and like wanting to be able to do stuff with that. Mm-hmm. YouTube uh from ads and stuff, we make about 6.4% of our income from YouTube, right? So, a lot of people want to become big YouTubers and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Klee and I are, we do YouTube, but I don't know that I consider myself a YouTuber and that might just be a thing that I have to think about. Um, but 6.4% of our income comes from like ads whenever there's an ad that goes on our videos. Yeah. And one of the main things with that is that, um, a lot of YouTubers, if you will, the ones that are making a lot of money are doing a lot of that through sponsorships. Yeah. We're very, very, very picky about sponsorship opportunities because we're not going to, we've said this a million times, we're not going to, um, present any, any products or services to our artist community. Ginger said, I prefer the term Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're very, very selective. We mostly say no to sponsorship opportunities. Now, ironically, this month we actually got, um, we did say yes, we did say yes to, to a one. sponsor. So there is gonna, there is something there and you guys know the sponsor as Canvi. I have been sponsoring Canvi since before, uh, they wanted us to be sponsors because yeah, <laughs> they're we're, amazing. We're friends with Canvi. We believe in them yeah. and they believe in us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next one is the books. 
Okay, so YouTube is one of those things where it is a passive income, right? So like once that video goes out there, anytime that somebody watches it, um, they are, uh, you know, you, you get paid. Not that much, but you get paid per video that people are watching if there's ads on it. Um, the next one is books. That's another one that is a pants passive income. Once the book is written. Once the well, yeah, once the book is written um, and recorded. And recorded also counts for audiobooks. So eight percent of the books, that's that's where our income comes from. And it's great because it gets ordered and then I get a you know, at the end yeah. of the month we get paid per book. Yeah, so books right now, eight percent of the income. Yeah. Not not bad. Not, not bad. Not bad. It's growing. We're growing it. And Esther that's Esther said eighty percent of nothing is, is still, still nothing. nothing. <laughs> Oh, I love that. As Tempor said, I started with nothing and I still have a lot left is a song (laughs) by C6 Steve. (laughs) Esther said, my music teaching isn't my side gig. It's part of my own. Exactly, Esther. Exactly. And that's the way that I see all of these things. With Patreon, it's our community. We have our community. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that income that we make from that community allows us to do more with the community. Uh, YouTube is being able to share our art. I, I see that as part of the art. I love the editing of videos and putting videos together and just the information that I'm leaving out there. Books, same thing. Our music right now, we are making 0.1% of our income on our music. Yes. It's about $4 a month. (laughs) We are raking it in with our music, but that's the thing. And that's one of the reasons that I'm like, if you are doing something for the money, right. And you're not willing to go through months of something raking in $4 a month. Right. And you're like, oh, well, this isn't worth it. It's not making any money. And I'm you just give go, up. I'm w- willing to do it forever. Making four dollars. Exactly. A month on music. Exactly. Um, but yeah, make sure you're passionate about whatever it is. That you you, are you have to love what you're doing. It has to be part of your creativity and you need to want to do it. Right. You need to want to do it because we never know. You never know. My books might explode. And then next thing I know, then that's when everybody else comes out of the woodwork and is like, oh man, yeah, you did, you did really well. Or like the music explodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know. As long as you enjoy doing it, just, just understand that at some point in time, something will come of it. Extempore said, my latest video is silliness overload and I'm scared when it goes public, but I don't want to be totally serious person either. I think it's fun. It was a stupid idea. I even storyboarded. And I'm showing the storyboard in another video, and I think that's wonderful. And you should have fun. Oh, I with love what that. You're doing. I love that. And I'm excited for that. Jenny yep. said, "Yeah, you'd be doing it anyway." Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Something that you're doing anyway, and but but giving yourself the opportunity, you know, like I said, like with our music, the opportunity to make money. I could give away books, but having that opportunity to be able to get paid for the books and thus pay for more books to come even though you to do more yeah even though i'd be writing them anyway but maybe being able to set that time aside to be able to do them 
Um, so the other thing, the other income that we have is freelance, right? So Clee does freelance for... It's like um, when we do contract work for shops, I do some of that. Or for example, we're doing contract work for the city filming art classes. It's that kind of work. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's, so that's freelance work. So video editing, stuff like that. And so that's 14% of our income. Mm -hmm. Sponsors for the first time ever um canvi even though i've been sending people to them and they gave me they did give me an affiliate sponsorship link a long time ago so that i could make money and i just kept forgetting <laughs> to give that to people so they saw that people were they were like we know that you've sent people our way so they you know paid paid us a little bit of money and thank you for that. Thank you. Canvi. Very awesome. By the way, everybody out there, canvi.com for mock-ups of your artwork. I love them. There's nothing better for yeah. mock-ups of your artwork. <clears throat> um, uh, the next one is merch. Merch is also passive 1.3%. I have my stuff on Teespring and I also have my stuff on Printful. It's not a huge amount, but it's a nice little buffer yeah, there. I think you may have forgotten to say the percentage for sponsors. Oh, sponsors was 11%. So yeah, as of right now, yeah. um, merch is 1.3, like you just said. Not huge, but again, it's something that's passive and you can build it up over time. Yep. Uh, the other side is the Skillshare. Um, online you know, classes. The little online classes that I do where I talk about empowering yourself and all that stuff as an artist. Um, I post those on Skillshares, and I would say that that's 1.3% of our income. Uh, the next line is affiliates. Now, affiliates won't pay us. We've been we've had like the Amazon affiliates thing on our website of things that we recommend for a while, except they don't pay until you make a hundred bucks. So in three years, we haven't made a hundred bucks yet, but we're close. So it's at zero percent. That's okay. And the other thing that we are at zero percent is this podcast. We have yes. we have not um, we have not successfully monetized this podcast in any way. However, we love the podcast. Yeah, and so it's one of those things that we're going to do. There are anyhow. there are opportunities out there. So of course, we're not going to ignore um, you know ways to um, bring in revenue via the podcast. But we're also not like. Um, trying to force it either. Yeah. So um, all of these things, even the small ones, even the music at 0.1% are things that we're growing. Yeah. Um, Ginger asks, question, do you make more money if Teespring is purchased through the GooTube link? No, no. Um, basically the merch shelf, um, it just it just gives the opportunity to buy something on Teespring. Now it's cool and I love Teespring because they allow you to do that not only on YouTube but they allow you to do that with Twitch as well where you're able to put your merch shelf on um on your videos which I think is really cool. Esther said except that the podcast is part of your Patreon. Uh yeah, so the, technically the pod the, yeah. the live podcast is a Patreon perk being here live with us. Um, yeah, I guess I was speaking more about the recorded version of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Like if we were, if we yeah. were to do like ads or something like that, but yeah, you're right. It you're is right. It is, part. it is part of that 11%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool. That's um, cool. I didn't even think about that. It's a perk for us. Yes. It, it is a perk for the rogues. So it is not completely 
<laughs> devoid of um, of monetization. When you use the word devoid, it makes it sound so so dire. Yeah, devoid. Yeah. Index like how shorts, videos, and lives are split. I have no idea what you're talking about, Chris. Oh yeah, I'm not sure either. Maybe we missed a comment on the live chat. Um, but that is how. Oh, that's a reply to Sarah's. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so that is just pulling our numbers from last month. And just to reiterate, that fluctuates, right? Yeah. So there's going to be times where you're going to be more focused on your, you know, some of this than others. Yeah. Um, getting it going and getting things going like this, knowing that, you know, things are going to be at 0.1% or 0%. For a while, when you get them going, if it's something that you like to do and you want to share, get it going and just let it kind of do its thing and build and, it up over time. And I want to give you guys um, just just a little bit of insight here, right? So art and jewelry is 46.9%. We've been doing that for over a decade. Mm-hmm. That's what we have the most practice at doing. It's been out there the longest. Um. YouTube is at 6.4% just in ads, right? We've been doing that for about four or five years, like where we've really been consistently consistently doing it. Books, I just released books in 2019. So it's at 8%. Music, we just released an album not too long ago. So it's at Mm 0.1%. The freelance stuff we've been doing for the last four or five years, 14%. Sponsors, that's new. That's that's usually at zero. Um, but, you know, it's something that we've also been very, very picky about who it is that we're going to talk about. And so that's a new that's a new opportunity that has opened up the merch with the T-shirts and stuff. 2019 is when I started that. And at first I was on Redbubble and then I was on all these other ones until I finally settled on Teespring and Printful. Mm hmm. Um, it's so 1.3% Skillshare. I just started that a couple of years ago and I have not been that consistent with it. Um, have, if I am more consistent with it, I know that it will show more of a return. So it's all stuff that like, obviously the art and jewelry we've been doing for a long time. So that's where you see the biggest percentage mm-hmm. and that's really how it all goes. That's why I say, don't chase the money because in the beginning, we only had art and jewelry and we were definitely, I mean, we might've been making a hundred percent of our money on art and jewelry, but it really wasn't that much. It wasn't enough that to um, motivate us to keep moving forward. Rachel said, just to add for merch, getting on other sites like Redbubble, TeePublic, uh, and even Amazon merch diversifies that passive income. Yes. Yes, it does, Rachel. Yes, it does. You have the time and it doesn't, once you make a design, it doesn't take that much time to add it to those other sites. Yeah. It's not going to cost you any money either to upload it it to TeePublic, Redbubble. Yeah. Just, just to have it out there. Extempore wants to know, is print on demand worth it? Less stock, but if I sold a t-shirt um, wholesale at 20, I guess I'd get 15 in profit, Redbubble. Um, for us, yeah, just for the fact of not having to keep the stock or ship the stock, um, you create a design and the print on demand is doing the fulfillment for you. For us, Definitely. Yeah, Chris, it's passive income. Yeah. It's passive income. You don't have to keep stock. You're basically designing something and putting it out there. 
when it comes down to it, take a look at different things, kind of like what Rachel is saying. Take a look at different things. You're going to make more money on Teespring than you will on Redbubble. You know, and that's that's the thing. There are a lot of print-on-demand sites. There's nothing wrong with checking them all out, at least doing it for a year or so, and mm-hmm. then seeing which ones you want to keep or if you want to keep them all. Because really, it's all about putting yourself out there, putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Jen just says, but the real question, where's our cult-adjacent tax exemption <laughs> status? We don't have that. <laughs> we don't have that. But thank you for the laugh. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Yeah. Except we're saying, of course, with wholesale, you got to buy 300 up front. Yeah. I mean, Chris, that's answering your question. Like, is it worth it? Yeah. It's not costing you anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Uh, So he said margin feels low, but it does feel great. I guess I need to get it in volume. You need to, you need to just push it, push it out there. Keep sharing it. Get, get some, wear them in your videos. Definitely. You know, like and to have fun promoting your stuff. That's an area that we could be better at. Oh, we could really be better. I love our t-shirt designs and we probably should wear our t-shirt designs yeah. more often. That's something that we're going to try to do better. Yeah. Doing. Yeah. We're, we're, I created a video and everything to like promote our merchandise. Right. Cause I was like, yeah, let's promote our merch our our cool t-shirts and our mugs and all that cool stuff that we have. Um, cause we love them. Right. And it's, it's just, we don't, I don't, I, I don't think that we think about it when we're filming a video. Cause usually when we're filming a video, it's like, Oh, I'm going to talk about this or, Oh, I'm going to talk about that. So it, it becomes one of those things, but yes, promote your stuff, promote your stuff. If you have t-shirts out there and it's passive income, you know, get a t-shirt, wear it in your videos, and then make sure that you let people know this is where you could get it. Share those links. Absolutely. Except for some, my latest t-shirt design, I will order and wear. Yes. Excellent. Um, yeah. So that's our numbers. Um, obviously, you but going back to the seasons, obviously there's going to be seasons where these percentages fluctuate a lot. Um, and that's great. Because then you can kind of, you can kind of shift your focus depending on what you have going on to keep all of these various things going and growing. Yeah. Didn't mean to rhyme there, but it just did. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I love it. So getting back to it, I guess to tie up this podcast, you know, as artists, we're going to have our seasons that we go through. And I like the idea of looking at things quarterly um, as far as planning out your year and understanding that, you know, during the last quarter, you're dealing with the holidays. Um, then you have summer, you have spring, and then you have the after holidays. I like to call it where it's like the, the slow times, the slow periods. Now there's a possibility that there are no real slow periods for you. And if so, great. Especially cause life. Yeah. In that case, then, you know, the, the big thing, uh, and I think everybody would agree is, figuring out how to give yourself more personal me time in the process. But that's a completely different podcast. Other than that, jump on your creative projects, have fun with them. And if you could figure out a way to easily put it out there um, where you are able to share it and possibly make, that's the thing. You know, when somebody asked me like, well, are print on demand sites worth it? And I'm like, what's the investment there? You have a little bit of a time investment where you're creating, uh, you're already creating it, right? You're already going to create the design. 
why not go ahead and list it, put it out there? It's just sitting there. It's not costing you any money up front, and it's giving you the opportunity to be able to share your stuff out there. Now, you're going to have, like I said, I have a Redbubble account, and I have stuff on Redbubble, and every once in a while I sell something, but the majority of my sales happen through Teespring. Republic is a great so you get a lot of organic sales through there. Um, Printful, because I get to integrate Printful with my site. But that's only because I've tried maybe about 15 different print-on-demand sites that I was like, oh, I don't want to do this one. Yeah, or it's like, all oh, down to what want. you like. Yeah. Um, you could do both. I mean, as an example, right, um, the rogue books that are out there are available through many, many platforms <laughs> for fulfillment. But they're also available from us, yeah. you know, like a signed copy from us. Yeah. Um, so you don't necessarily even have to pick one or the other. You know, if you wanted to do specialty t-shirt fulfillment through your own self, you could do that and have uh, drop shipping options from fulfillment places. <laughs> Rachel said, ah, it's all slow period. I exaggerate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, someday you'll look back on the slow periods and be like, remember when? Remember back when we had time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, let's see. Do you, uh, Chris says, do you put everything on print on demand or just key stuff and maybe sell merch wholesale? I, I just put it on print on demand. All like, of all of our merch, like, yeah, all of our merch is print on demand for us. Um, especially we launched it when we were living in that little tiny, tiny apartment. Yeah, I don't have, I don't we have, did not. I don't have time to bulk order stuff because then I have to worry. Then I have to concern myself with shipping out mugs or shipping out t-shirts and stuff like that. Like honestly, I want to make it as easy on myself as possible, and that's that's why it just I. My biggest thing is there is print on demand now. Back in the day, you couldn't do that. That that didn't exist. And people had to like bulk order every single size of a shirt in you know whatever colors it was that they wanted and it was very expensive up front. You get to not have to do that anymore. You let, know? Let so like that's you... that's where I'm like don't overthink it. Just just do it. And have fun doing why it. Not? Cause why not? So, um, a, my favorite example of this is music royalties. Okay. Uh, a stream on a music platform pays out about 0. 0.00067 cents per stream. That's not a lot of royalties for a song play. However, imagine if I had to play the song every time the button was clicked. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> If if like a bun came up and then a, then a light was like eh, 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 and you had like five like, minutes like we gotta get ready and I'm play eating it. breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so um lower royalty percentage, but it's handled. Once the thing yeah. is created, it's handled, it's out there, it's available for anyone who wants it. And the thing is that you could figure out different ways. Like maybe if you order the mugs and you put together a care basket or something like that. For us, when it comes to the music. We're going to have, we're going to burn our own CDs. We are. <laughs> we're going to burn our own CDs and make our own mixtapes of our songs and sell those on the website. With handwritten Sharpie labels and everything. Yeah. Will those sell? Who knows? You know, who knows if anybody, whatever. But to us, that's nostalgic and it's fun. So like, 
I definitely, you know, and it's funny because that's a lot of the motivation for me. It's either it's easy, why not, you know, with the print on demand stuff and mm-hmm. things like that, or, um, oh man, how cool. I've always wanted to like sell my own CDs, you know, yeah. and like CD players are a thing of the past, but I'm like, there's got to be somebody out there that's going to buy a CD. You there's know? plenty of somebodies with CD players. Allie wants to know, is there a print on demand for making calendars? Yes, there are several. There are? Uh, for calendars? Oh, print on demand. I'm thinking print fulfillment. No, I don't know for no, sure. No, no, that's the one. Demand. No, I, I. That's right. We, I Just off the top of my head, no, there isn't. Um, I usually order them from Printful. Uh, and no, not Printful. I'm sorry. Uh, got Print. Got that's, print. that's where no, I order Rachel mine. Rachel is saying possibly that Zazzle and Printful do uh, fulfill calendars. Okay. I'll have to take a look. Um, unfortunately, I have not done anything with the website in a while. But yeah, that'll, that would be amazing. Anybody that did that, that would be like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> Extempore uh, said yes. Call the CDs retro, '90s retro burn CDs, authentic of old. Yes. Jin yes. just said burning CDs. Oh yeah. I know, right? Rachel, <laughs> Rafi album pressing. I'm excited just thinking about it. Yeah. Or is there a calendar building software like a blurb for books that you can find calendar templates in places? Yeah, I um, usually just design my own though. Yeah. In, in not Photoshop, in Affinity, so. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's call an end to this. I think that this was a great podcast. I, uh, enjoyed talking about all the subjects about the seasons and, and obviously multiple streams of income at the end of the day, all that stuff that we listed out with percentages, that's multiple streams of income. Um, in, you know, some of the places it's $120 a month that's coming in. Some of the places it's $10 a month. Some of the places it's $500 a month. Some of the places it's $40 a month, Mm -hmm. you know, but the thing is when it, when it all gets added up for the month, that's, that's why if you have an opportunity to put something creative out there and not have it be something that spreads you too thin, where you're able to make a passive income from it, absolutely freaking do it. Absolutely do it. It's worth it. Yeah, and don't do anything that you don't want to do. Yeah, do something that, you know, if it's if it's only pulling in $4 a month that and you're you like, hate it, yeah. Then don't yeah, do if it. if you hate it then you're not going to want to do it. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to want to do it. If it's the hardest $4 you ever earned. <laughs> exactly. Then think about other things you might do. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, um yeah, I think that that was a great podcast and I want to thank the rogues for being here. You guys are absolutely freaking amazing. Um, Freaking love your input in these things. It's the best. It is the best. And thank you so much to everybody out there listening to this podcast. You guys are absolutely amazing. I totally adore you. Um, And listen, if you like this and you want to listen to more like this, go ahead and click somewhere around here to subscribe. And that's it. You want to say goodbye, Clee? Good day. Adios. Adios.